Welcome in everyone. Thanks so much for joining me. Today I'd like to discuss how and why Buddhists meditate. This is a pretty big topic, so um, this episode is not intended to be an exhaustive uh, description of this, just uh, some of my learnings over the years uh, of studying and practicing uh, mostly Tibetan Buddhism for the past 23 years. So mostly sharing from, from those perspectives. Um, to start out, I just want to say uh, Buddhism is not a singular thing. Actually, um, the word Buddhism is, is a relatively modern word. I would say a more accurate term would be Buddhisms, plural, because there's still in existence a lot of different uh, cultural forms of Buddhism throughout Asia, um, South Asia. And, um, you know, there are principles that, that these forms of Buddhism uh, share in common. I mean, they all stem from uh, the historical Buddha or Shakyamuni Buddha, or some like to call him Siddhartha. Um, they all stem from one one figure, but of course, it's been 2,600 years uh, since the time of the historical Buddha. So a lot's changed, a lot um, evolves, a lot gets, um, how do you say, uh, there's a lot of research and development that happens. And I personally think this is a good thing um, as it, it, you know, is able to, update uh, to modern people um, as time moves on. It's able to update to the, the times that it's in and, and therefore be just as powerful uh, as the time of the Buddha and be applicable, obviously. So in order to talk about the how of Buddhist meditation, I'd like to talk about uh, the why first, as often um, the how in different Buddhisms is, is based on the why. And so, in general, what you'll see in different forms of Buddhism is uh, the the why people meditate, why uh, meditation is a part of Buddhism, is based on some of the early or, or foundational teachings of the Buddha, uh, which described basically two opposing ways to live or two opposing views. So, first we look at view. We look first at what was the view or set of views that the Buddha uh, taught or put forward, uh, asked us to look at or or to investigate or be curious about, and how do, how is that in relation to our own personal view, and also what the Buddha described as an opposing view to what he was describing as we could say reality, for lack of a better word. So, these two opposing views are basically one view based on. Um, self-projections based on afflictive emotions and more or less based on uh, a perspective that we are separate uh, from the world we live in or we we have an, our own experience that's unique to you know the world around us or it's not connected to the world around us this is one kind of opposing view and this obviously as you could probably guess is the view that creates suffering or dissatisfaction or keeps us bound to a life that's um yeah uh, one filled with lots of dissatisfaction and that's in, in opposition to the, the, the view of what Buddha taught how reality actually is, which is interdependent, meaning it, it's relational. It depends on parts. It depends on lots of different coexisting factors uh, to appear. And in that statement, it is also saying that there is no one reality per se. There's also not two realities, right? So this is where we get in the deep end a little bit in Buddhism. But nonetheless, um, there's this this sense that because things are are relational or because things are are interdependent including 
us, like, like the self. Um, it's not findable as a singular, independent, or permanent entity. And this is the view that we take into account when we meditate as a Buddhist, right? This is the view that we study. This is a view that we think about, that we, you know, become curious about. I would say it's not so much a belief, though I guess initially when one's studying it, it can be taken as a belief or like a um, um, like a hypothesis that one is then going to check in one's own meditation and then and learning and study uh, over time. But definitely, it's not intended to be a belief. It's intended to be something to investigate uh, through awareness and through one's own internal uh, experience uh, of practice. And we do that through two types of meditation. Uh, they generally go into the categories of what's called shamatha or calm abiding meditation and vipassana or insight meditation. So I have some previous videos uh, talking more about this. Uh, there's a video I did called What is Meditation? If you're uh, watching this on YouTube, you can go check that out. I believe it's on iTunes and Spotify too in, in audio form. Um, I talk a little bit about shamatha and vipassana. But basically these two styles or I would say like categories of practice make up different kinds of practices and methods for cultivating and connecting to this aware quality of mind I'm often talking about pretty much in every video. <laughs> um, now, they work with it in slightly different ways, and they're trying to bring out different um, a different experience uh, through through awareness, and I'll talk about that right now. But just a moment before I do that, um, often when we hear the term shamatha, we hear the term vipassana, sometimes we limit those to singular practices. And I just want to be very clear here. There's many types of shamatha throughout the different kinds of Buddhisms. Also, it, it, shamatha exists outside of Buddhism. It exists in different kinds of um, uh, tantric Hindu lineages and Vedic lineages and uh, um uh, Taoist lineages, uh, probably, you know, there's forms of shamatha even within mystical Christianity and other kinds of spiritual traditions, right? So it's not something unique to Buddhism, uh, the various practices of shamatha. Um, you could say to a certain extent, Vipassana, it, it also isn't, you know, the way we practice it in Buddhism is kind of unique, but maybe there could be other Vipassana practices and other spiritual paths as well. Um and, and similarly, in Buddhism, uh, Vipassana isn't one singular practice. Often people think Vipassana means a certain style of practice. Actually, there's many kinds of Vipassana, analytical Vipassana, resting Vipassana, you know, different lineages and traditions of Vipassana, different styles of practicing it. But there is something that defines Vipassana as Vipassana, right? Which, which I'll get into now. So, um, Shamatha is defined, first shamatha, <laughs> Sham, sorry, shamatha is defined um, by more or less we are trying to connect with the aware quality of mind, which is this quality of mind that can be watchful, um, not just attentive, it's, it's more of a, a meta-attentiveness where there's attention, but there's also an awareness of that attention, or there's a knowing that we're knowing, or there's a sense of bearing witness, or I, I like to say watchfulness. Um, you know, some people use terms like the the watcher or or you know the witnesser or whatever. I perf I think watchfulness, as far as Buddhist shamatha, is a little more accurate of what's happening. As a, you know, that word describes it better because we're not watching something; it's watchfulness. We're also with the experience, but there's also the awareness that's kind of the 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 meta seer as we're in or with the experience. And watchfulness, as an English word, captures that. 
Shamatha is basically strengthening that watchfulness in the present moment um, and cultivating a sense of clear, undistracted nowness, right? Nowness being kind of the thing, the thread you can see throughout all different kinds of shamatha practices, where it's bringing the mind into the present moment, not distracted into thoughts of the future, not distracted into thoughts of the past, and just, just, and not necessarily distracted in ruminating about the present. We're just with the raw material of the present moment. And we strengthen that. That's not natural to most people. I would say probably the majority, almost all people, we need to strengthen that uh, quality. But it's possible because we all have awareness as a quality of our mind. We're born with it. It's not something we need to get from a religion or it's not something someone has to give us. We have it. But a spiritual path, uh, in this case, Buddhism can teach us how to connect with it and strengthen it. And shamatha, all the methods of shamatha, some focusing more on the concentration aspect of that, some constant, some focusing more on the aware aspect and stabilizing that, where eventually concentration comes out of that. The whole idea is to make the mind pliable, because for most of us, the mind is not pliable. It's like a monkey running all over the place, jumping around, you know, distracted, more or less. And so we're gathering all that. So most of you probably watching this, you either have a practice of this already, or it's familiar to you in, in forms of modern secular mindfulness or other kinds of meditation. So usually when people say meditation, they're referring to some kind of shamatha practice, right? Now, vipassana or insight meditation, um, as we call it, this is where it gets... Uh, Real, you could say. <laughs> this is where it gets serious. Because the methods of Vipassana or insight meditation, or sometimes in Tibetan traditions we call it special insight, um, these are the practices that actually liberate us uh, from the bondage of what I described earlier in, in the view. Uh, that this, you know, it, it liberates us from, from our self projections, which we mistake for self. It liberates us from, um, being stuck in unconscious habits of permanence, of independence, con uh, unconscious habits of, of feeling centralized as opposed to how reality actually is, which is decentralized. It's lots of parts moving, right? And this is what we mean by non-duality in Buddhism, right? Um, beyond the subject and object, uh, beyond, uh, we would say, nihilism or non-existence and existence, or nihilism and eternalism. Anyways, I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole, but just describing some of this for you. Um, and so the practices of Vipassana or insight meditation, like I said, these can vary uh, through, through the different kinds of Buddhisms. Um, there's not a singular Vipassana practice. But with that said, all Vipassana practice does lead to clear seeing. And clear seeing what? Clear seeing that things do not exist permanently. Things do not exist independently. And so a meditator is developing that over time. And it's not a thought that that's coming from. Of course, a thought or a belief or an idea could prompt us to meditate initially. But in order to be free, we need to develop the experience of impermanence. We need to develop the flavor for living life through impermanence, through uh, the experience of interdependence, right? And this happens uh, through these various types of vipassana. Again, I don't want to make this video too long, so I'm not going to go into how to practice these. I just wanted to describe how, how the why is strongly connected to the how. And so maybe this gives some of you who are curious about Buddhism a little more perspective on, on what's happening uh, with, with Buddhist meditation and those who are already practicing a little more clarity.
So I think I'll leave it there for now. Uh, if you if you like this content, let me know. Feel free if you're watching on YouTube, leave a comment below. If you're listening on Spotify or iTunes, please email me or message me at scotttusa.com. That's my website. And give me your feedback. Do you like this kind of content? Do you, do you want me to go into like more detail on this? Do you want me to develop a series where I can go into more detail into each of these practices? Um, ultimately, I make this content uh, for those of you who are watching it on a regular basis. So let me know what you think. Thanks so much and hope everyone has a great day. Take care.